0: Hi, and welcome to the Well Read Podcast, a bi weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing our favorite books of 2023. I can't Yay. believe it's already this time. I feel I like know. we just did this. I really do. The best
1: episode of the year, though. So it's always something that we're, we're like, oh, it's so close to our
0: hearts. Do enjoy this episode. I think I like superlatives even more than favorites. Probably. Yeah. I find it's- that much more fun. I find this a little bit stressful. <laughs> yeah (laughs) to narrow it down to 10 or to choose my 10 yeah whereas superlatives i just think it's pure fun to think about your books in the ways that we talk about them that's
1: probably true but it's like it's like picking children
0: yes which i I have
1: none of so (laughs) i don't have any experience with that but i did make my mom do it an awful lot and she didn't like it at all so i imagine that it's the same thing same thing (laughs) yeah books children same thing
0: yeah (laughs) Well, all right, let's start with how do you generally feel like your 2023 reading year was? I think it was
1: okay. I think that publishing just generally wasn't as strong for me this year, at least compared to 2022, where I felt like I had so many books that I wanted to keep at the end of my year from from my committee stuff and like books that I want to hug at the end of Mm -hmm. reading them I I felt like I had a lot of books that I sort of proselytized about and this year wasn't as strong with that so I definitely had plenty of things I really liked and had more than enough to go on this list but as far as books that I want to keep at the end of the year I don't feel like they are as high in my estimation as as last year so so I think it was fine (laughs) but but maybe not my most like oh I found so many new favorites I don't think that I would say that but also I've had much 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 worse reading years so yeah just just maybe a little bit more muted of a year I guess
0: well it's interesting as I'm listening to you I'm thinking I wonder if this year was a little bit of a stronger year for non-genre fiction yeah that would make sense I because I think there were some pretty big literary fiction titles right and when i think about i'm i'm always very interested on or interested in end of the year best of lists for books i'm sitting here just kind of in my mind reflecting on the ones that i've seen and i feel like the literary fiction lists that i've seen have been pretty consistent as far as which books are on there mm-hmm. whereas the genre lists have varied much more and yeah, so that indicates to me maybe it wasn't quite the same for genre fiction as it was for non-genre fiction. Yeah. And maybe non-fiction, I just don't read much non-fiction.
1: Yeah, and the the books that that are on your list that that I didn't think were appropriate for the committee, mm-hmm. I I think I, I haven't read them, but I've heard right. nothing but great things for about right. them. So I think that could be true. And I do feel like there were a lot of authors who don't publish every year that yes. that came out with things this year yes. that were very very big books and and that's really exciting, but they mm-hmm. weren't right for the committee, so right. they weren't things that I was reading. So right. yeah, even even a couple of your books I uh, started because they were nominated or were mm-hmm. suggested for the committee, and then I realized, oh, these aren't right, and then yep. quit reading them, but thought they were great. Yeah. So so yeah, that's a great point that it may just have been a more muted year for, for genre fiction. Room. Yeah. Or everything, all the air was just sucked out of the room by romanticy. Could so, be, could be. So you, I think, had a better year than I did.
0: I did. I had a really good reading year. Now I have, I think we're going to talk next about our hopes for 2024. And so I have some commentary there. But yeah, I generally really had a reading year that I liked a lot of what I read. And I don't know if it's because I got better at picking the books that I was reading or setting aside books I wasn't enjoying. But I would say overall, I really liked everything I read there were a handful of books that maybe I didn't like as well but even still I just read something for my one of my book clubs and I think I maybe only rated it two stars on Goodreads but at the same time I'm glad I read it I yeah it felt like a worthwhile reading year and that might be a strange word to use but I just feel like I was really happy with well all the I feel like I had a lot of moments that I thought gosh I really love what I'm reading right now and yeah, so yeah. that's a good reading year in my mind yeah
1: because there's always, uh, sometimes there's there's also just books that aren't for you, but you can say, like what you said, you're glad you read it, or you you can recognize that it's a good
0: book, just right. not for you. Not for me, yeah. And I was saying, uh, and then we decided to hit record to capture the conversation on on <laughs> re- being recorded versus just having a side conversation. But one of the things as I was l- thinking about my favorites of the year, as I have a couple of books, and I'll note uh, which ones those are, but that were truly a tip-top no, if somebody asks me what my favorite book of the year was, I can clearly indicate what that is. I know what that is. But then I had just a whole set of books that I loved, that I would. I had, I struggled to get it to a list of 10 because I had so many to choose from that I thought I can make a case for this being a favorite. Mm-hmm. That's a, Again, that's a really good reading year in my mind because there might be books that, sitting here in December that maybe I read more towards the beginning of the year that I'm thinking, wait, what was that I liked so much? or Why, why, why yeah, did I like yeah. that book so much? But at the time, I loved it. So that's, yeah, that's a good reading year to me. Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, so let's talk about 2024. I know you will still be on the committee, but do you have any hopes for your 2024 reading?
1: I think more, m- most of my hopes are Are fairly heavily committee based as far as uh, how I manage my priorities Mm -hmm. with it, and I will be the chair next year, which is so exciting. A little bit insane (laughs) that anyone would would entrust this to me, and I, I hope that I hope ALA survives this. (laughs) You Um, bring down the whole
0: organization. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so I think my, my goals are probably mostly focused on that, and mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm hoping to have a really great group of people to work with. So mm-hmm. so those are not so much uh, book related as, as my own. I want to make sure that I'm not getting overwhelmed by that side of it and neglecting right. the book reading part of the committee, which is also not going to go away <laughs> just right. because I'm the chair. But then as far as the books go, I've been shocked by how much fantasy I've enjoyed this mm-hmm. year. And that is something I don't identify myself as being at all as a is a fantasy reader. And it's been really, really strong for me this year. And and I was even looking at the list of, of final books that we're going to be discussing coming up in a couple of weeks. And I thought all of the ones I really, really loved are are fantasy and the entire fantasy list is stuff I loved. And mm-hmm. so it's not like, oh, here were two that I really liked. And then the rest are meh. It's the entire thing. And that's that's bizarre to me so I think maybe I'm hoping to explore this newfound side of me a little bit and see okay is this just a phase or is this uh where I really just have to sort of embrace that I like and and we you and I have discussed this before that we both know that we are not epic fantasy right or high fantasy readers but but enjoy fantasy that's a little bit bit more grounded in the real world and so if that's the case, then can I just accept that and embrace that for myself instead of saying no, 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 I'm right. not a fantasy reader. Right. So, um, so there's that. I feel like I've haven't read a lot of great adrenaline this year. I think mysteries have been a little hit or miss for me this year. So I'm hoping, and those are those are both a lot more what I enjoy. So, so I would like to dig in a little bit harder on those and find stuff that I truly, truly loved. Although I do have a couple of them on uh, each on this list. So, but I don't want to be, I don't want to neglect my my first loves for the sake of my new flirtation with fantasy.
0: <gasps> Your crush on fantasy.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how about you? What, you? what are you looking forward to?
0: So it, I have a few things that I'm still sort of formulating in my head of how how to go about it. Because like I said, I did have a really good reading year. So I, I'm right. not inclined to change A ton but at the same time when I was looking at what I read this year thinking about my favorites one thing I noticed and you will hear as I read off uh, my books that I liked my favorites in in even over the last however many years tend to be I really love historical fiction when I read it Um, literary fiction there was a lot of literary fiction that I never got to this year and literary fiction can kind of be hit or miss for me but I feel like the ones I'm going to talk about today there were more in that vein this year that I just never got to because I was tending to pick up the quicker, lighter reads, Mm -hmm. I think. And part of that is I have other reading commitments. I'm in a couple of book clubs, and I always read those books or try to. I review for Booklist magazine, so I always have a couple of those books every month. And so suddenly it was my options for my just kind of what free reading, I would call it. When I was picking up something, I just wanted to pick up something I could immediately get into, I could enjoy and f- have that feeling of, oh, I loved this. And I think because of that, it didn't always tend to go to the books that maybe were a little bit quieter or slower or I would sink into longer. You know, something like um, Demon Copperhead, which actually came out, I think, a year ago now. So it would have been not 2023. I still haven't read that, even though I think that's something I would really like. But it's really long, and Mm -hmm. it's pretty serious. And so I just think I tended not to pick those kinds of books up. But those are really rewarding books that I tend to really, really like when I do read them. So I think that I want to try to make more of an effort to not shy away from those and not just always pick up something that's a rom-com or something a little bit lighter. I just want a better balance, I think, because... Again, when I read off my list, like historical fiction, I tend to always really, really enjoy when I read it. But for some reason, it's never the first thing that comes to mind. I think maybe I've talked about this before Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Like it's never the thing that I tend to, if I have a stack of books from the library or from my bookshelves, for some reason, I don't know why because I always like it, I don't tend to pick up the historical fiction. So that's something I'm sort of hoping to, to rectify in 2024. And again, when I was looking at some of those best of the year lists, there were a lot of books on those lists that I wanted want to get to that I never got to this year. That's part of my motivation as I think, oh, there were these great books that I had good intentions to read, but just they were never the ones that I grabbed to read. Yeah, I would say that's the biggest thing for 2024 is just to try to get maybe a little bit more variety in, in various aspects of my reading life yeah. and, and have more of that balance.
1: That's definitely what I'm looking forward to in 2025 when we, right. when we get to that next year yeah. of when I'm done with the committee, sort of figuring out how to find that balance of, because yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at reading new releases when I'm not on the mm-hmm. committee, and figuring out the balance of keeping up with that, because I do very much enjoy having opinions about very current books. It's, right. it's super, super fun, while also going back to all the classics that I like and right. all these, you know, I've, I've got hundreds and hundreds of books that I have not read and figuring out how to how to have and and many of those are not are are things that would not be committee appropriate so figuring out that balance I think is is a good goal for both of us for years to come well (laughs) truly it's it's hard to do
0: it's hard to do I think it's especially hard to do if you like to read really widely I sometimes and again I think we've mentioned this before but sometimes I almost wish I were A a narrower reader, like I only liked one genre or something, because I always have these grand ideas of if I discover an author I like and I think, oh, I'm going to go read all of their backlist. Or, you know, there's a series I've started that I really like and a new book in the series comes out and I think, oh, I need to get to that. And then suddenly I'm seven books behind in the series because I haven't ever prioritized reading it. And so I think it's a little bit hard because I'm such a mood reader and so many books sound interesting to me and so trying to be more intentional about what i'm reading and really focusing on what is going to be a great reading experience which is sort of how i compiled my favorites list today was i just thought back about what were the best reading experiences i had because i read lots of books that i like but Mm -hmm. what are the what are the memorable experiences what are the books that really stuck with me things like that And so I don't know that you can necessarily know that before you pick up a book, but I do think, like I said, I tend to really like some of these types of books, these genres that I don't always pick up. And so I just want to be a little bit more intentional about that, like actually saying there's this... Great, Covenant of Water is another one. I was so yeah, looking yeah, forward yeah. to That's that, but list too. it's such a big book that I have it sitting on my shelf, but I have yet to crack it open because it's it's a commitment. It, it's a big, long book. Even though I'm fairly certain I will like it, other things that were 300 pages were an easier decision for me this year than the right. longer books. So, right. Anyway, well, we'll see how we do. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready to do, dive into yeah, our favorite? Yeah, let's dive into it. Okay, you go first. Okay, no, That's, wait. Before you go, oh, sorry. Okay, are you doing this in any order? So, overall, no,
1: but I did put my most talked-about book at the end. Okay. And I would guess I would say my favorite reading experience book.
0: Okay, I did this. I same. don't know
1: that it's my favorite. I had such a hard time deciding what if I had a favorite this year, okay. or as it's been easier other years. But yeah. but I did I did put one book at the end. And I I saw from yours, the way you you structured it, that you did the same thing. So
0: Yes, there is no order to any of mine until the last one. And that's my favorite book of the year. Okay. Okay, hit me with your first one.
1: The first one is Thornhedge by T. Kingfisher. And as I said, there is a shocking amount of fantasy on this list. And I am struggling a little bit with... My identity on it. So um, so be forewarned. So this book is a retelling of Sleeping Beauty from the perspective of a girl named Toadling, who was stolen by water fairies as a baby and was raised in a pond. And many years later, she lives at the edge of a giant bramble that grow- that is growing um, uh, kind of all over the place. It's, it's just massive, massive, massive. And it draws heroes who are trying to cut through it to find out if the legend of a princess at its center is true and this is all the result of one gift she gave at a christening centuries ago so it's sort of a, a sleeping beauty retelling with the the perspectives shift shifted this is one of the books i will i will certainly be keeping um i when i finished it i hugged it because i loved it so much and part that. of that i know it's such a great, great feeling part of the reason i loved it so much is that it's a novella and so the strength of its of the book is how short it is because so much is conveyed in just a few words and that was so impressive to me. It's There There are scenes in this book that will stay with me forever and so I just thought it was fantastic and so that is uh, Thornhedge by T. Kingfisher.
0: You know I love T. t Why is that hard to say? It's so hard to say. (laughs) I loved that author when I read them during reading list and I don't think I've gotten back to them since so I'm gonna have to maybe pick this up.
1: Yeah, and, and she's super prolific, too. So And it's... local,
0: to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My first one is Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll. And I don't think this will come as much as a surprise, because I'm <laughs> fairly certain a few episodes when I talked about it, I said this is going to be on my favorites of the year list. You sure did. I did. So I will say I won't go into too many details about it, since I just talked about it. But I was a little bit surprised at how much I loved this, because it's not quite a thing thriller but it is about a crime and I do, I, I'm I not a true crime person really um, that's not something I get a lot of enjoyment out of I know a lot of people love 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 true true crime but that's not me and this really felt in a lot of ways like a true crime story even though it's fiction so just to refresh everybody's memory this is a fictional account of some crimes that Ted Bundy committed at Florida State University in Tallahassee and in the 70s and crimes took place in a sorority house and the sorority president is the only witness to a man running from the sorority house after he had committed the crimes and in the moment she thinks for a split second that it is her best friend's boyfriend that she's seeing but then very quickly comes to realize it is not him it is somebody else it's a stranger but because that was her first instinct and she, she ends up telling the police that, she spends a lot of time after that trying to convince the police that it's not the boyfriend or that basically that they can trust what her second impression was. Mm. So it's a lot. A lot of the stories is in the aftermath of these crimes, how she takes it on herself to try to bring justice to her her friends basically and then she is joined by another woman who has a connection to Ted Bundy because somebody she cared about greatly was one of his victims years earlier so the story goes back and forth between the Florida State University story and then the woman who is one of his victims several years earlier and it's her story so the brilliance of this book to me was that it? Truly keeps the focus on the women who were affected by this person. Mm-hmm. Doesn't put him in the limelight. It doesn't. In fact, he is never mentioned by name, or I think maybe once mentioned by his name. Uh, it really, it really tries to keep the focus on who should be focused on, which are his his victims and the women that were impacted by these terrible crimes. Um, so it takes away this this myth that he was. charismatic smart charming man and shows that he's just a guy who hurt women basically Mm -hmm. it it feels weird to say I enjoyed a book that's about such a hard topic but I just was very engaged with this book and thought it was very well written it was just something special I felt so that is bright young women by Jessica Knoll that's one I kept from I, I didn't read it this year but when I was sorting the books I was
1: going to want to get to that I didn't get to read this year that was one that I set aside based on what you had talked about so I'm excited for it
0: it's a weird hybrid it's not really a thriller it Mm. doesn't have like that suspenseful feeling that a thriller has but it still is a very compelling book it makes you want to keep reading it makes you want to find out what happens next so it wouldn't have fit neatly into one of your genres that you had to focus on but I think it's it's definitely worth a read
1: Um, Okay, next is Last to Leave the Room by Caitlin Starling, and I know I previewed this book uh, earlier in the year, um, and I loved it so much. It's such a weird book. It it could be... I talked about this one a lot, too, and so it might... It was also a contender for favorite of the year. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is definitely the most impressive book I read this year. So it is set in the city um, of San Sirocco and that city is sinking, but the basement of Dr. Tamsin Rivers is sinking even faster at a higher rate. And she is the arrogant and brilliant woman who has been hired to find out the cause of the sinking. So she is desperately trying to find out what is, what's happening, why this is happening, especially why it's happening faster for her. And she spends all of her time taking measurements in her basement when suddenly a door appears there. And after several day, uh, uh yeah, several days, the, the door appears, uh, or sorry, the door opens um, to reveal a doppelganger who is everything that she isn't. So this, this woman is friendly and, and kind, where the original Tamsin Rivers is cruel and, and uh, like I said, very arrogant. So it's such a mind twisty book. It's super, super unsettling. There is some very um, upsetting body horror mm. in it. And uh, so the, cause when we, so, so the, the chair of the committee also really loved this book and we were discussing a lot of where we thought it goes because it's, technically new weird is the the subgenre that it belongs in, which can skirt science fiction and horror and as kind of a, a Venn diagram mm-hmm. middle of those two two genres. And so uh, ultimately, I decided that it had to go in horror because of the body horror mm-hmm. aspect of it. So, um, and I don't tend to love body horror, but I, thought it made a lot of sense in this book and it's it's just a very unsettling book so um it's but very incredibly written and is definitely my favorite horror of the year so that is Last to Leave the Room by Caitlin Starling.
0: Not a book for Hallie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although it sounds slightly like Piranesi. Did you ever read that book?
1: No no but I know you really liked
0: that one. Yeah that's I mean I'm it- not the exact same, but some of the beginning elements you were describing. I was thinking, yeah, yeah. It sounds kind of like Pyranese. All right, my next one is The Rachel Instant by Caroline O'Donohue. And uh, this book was interesting to me because it sort of snuck up on me how much I liked this book. Like I was reading it thinking, I'm enjoying this, like not really giving it much thought. And then at the end I ju- it just hit me. I thought, I think I really loved this. Much. Like <laughs> there was just something about it. I I think partially it's a really easy book to read in that it's not really plot driven but a lot happens in the book so you're just reading along absorbing it taking it all in and then at the end it's like wow that was kind of an amazing story in a way or the way Hmm. it was i don't know i just i don't want to give too much away but it's just it's it's a very deftly told book it's very funny but insightful and so I just think it did a lot of things really really well. It is about Rachel who is a college student who works in a bookstore and she there is a seasonal hire uh, who who starts working at the bookstore. Um, his name is James. They become fast friends like it's just like immediately they bond and very quickly they end up roommates and they are just, as close as two people can be basically and Rachel has a crush on one of her professors doesn't really intend to do anything about this crush it's just one of those things that they she and James like to talk about it and she likes to talk about how amazing she thinks he is and he and James kinds of kind of eggs her on to make more of it than it really is and then one day the professor comes in because he has a book being published and it's one of those books that Professors publish like it's not. It's not going to be on the New York Times bestseller list. It's a book that's a very academic kind of tome. And the professor comes in, and in an effort to impress him, Rachel says they're going to throw an event for him, like a book event, a launch event, um, because they have so many pre-orders, which they do not. She is lying, um, <laughs> but she just wants more of a chance to interact with him and talk to him, and so the night of this launch event because they have to follow through then they have to actually have this event something happens that changes the relationship between james and rachel rachel and her professor everybody it's it's every it turns everything upside down basically so i'm not going to say what the incident is because i think it kind of spoils the book a little bit and don't read the description because it tells you what happens but i will say the book goes in directions that i didn't quite expect it to when i started it And as I said, there's kind of a lot in this book. Like it examines a lot of different kinds of relationships. But I think ultimately why I loved it so much, why it landed on my favorites list, is because it's such a good example of the kinds of friendships you can form when you're in college, in your 20s, where you're just kind of figuring out who you are as an adult or as an individual person not influenced by your family and the people that surround you at that time know you in a way that i feel like when you're younger when you're older than that maybe you never let people in in that same way part of it is because they're living together because they're roommates they're just around each other all the time a part of it is it captures the emotions and feelings of having such a close friend and what that is like at that time and then as i said it it delves into other relationships to romantic relationships and friendships and student-teacher relationships in really interesting, unique ways. And it's told with a lot of humor, but also a little bit of poignancy. Um, so yeah, I loved it. It's called The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue. Okay,
1: next is How Can I Help You by, by Laura Sims. And this is a psychological suspense that is written more in, in the scale of psychological suspense. It's more in the style of Patricia Highsmith. And it's about two librarians, and so of course I'm gonna love it because I love <laughs> all those things. So um, it's about a woman named Margot who is living a lie, and we know that early on. Um, she's posing as a sweet librarian when she actually used to be a nurse who is responsible for a long string of deaths that that she's she's left in her wake. And she's never suspected for the activities that she's participated in until a new colleague named Patricia begins to notice subtle clues that Margot has a darker side that she is hiding. And so it becomes this cat and mouse game of an all-consuming of an all obsession, um, which for Margot is to protect herself from being found out for, for what she's done and for Patricia to keep digging. And they just keep circling each other until the end and it's great i don't know that obviously this there's a lot of things that are very close to my heart in this book and so i'm curious for someone else to read it if they that is not a librarian and does not love patricia highsmith as much as i do if they would have such a a strong love reaction for it but this is my list so that's what was true for me so it was it was a a favorite for me and that is how can i help you by laura sims
0: yeah it's your list you get to decide what's okay yeah Nobody else can tell you? No. (laughs) My next one is Someday Maybe by Onye Nwabaneli. I talked about this before. This is kind of a sad book, so I'm kind of bringing things down slightly (laughs) with the discussion of this. Um, I mean, there was a lot of murder in mind. There was a lot of murder and body horror, so I don't know that maybe it's not taking it. Yeah. (laughs) It is just a little bit sad. Um, So it starts with the death of Eve's husband. He has died by suicide. And Eve... Is our main character who is really struggling as I think anybody would be but especially because to her there were no signs that this was going to happen she never saw that her husband was unhappy or depressed she thought they had a good marriage so she's just blindsided by his death and and the way he died um, and so the novel follows her in the weeks and months after his death as she tries to really regain her footing and figure out what life looks like without him. They were together for a very, very long time. um, And he was truly her other half. Like they, it was, she can't imagine a life that doesn't include him. And part of why this book ended up on my favorites list is because I think it showed how grief is not linear in a really realistic way where you see Eve make strides that you think okay you know she's doing better and then she won't be for a little while and I think that's probably pretty true to life uh, it shows the people in her life that surround her her family and some and her friends who try to help her through the time and their frustrations at times with her and for her choices and I think again that's probably pretty true to life luckily I've not been in this situation but I felt part of why I read I think this is part of why a lot of people read is for that emotional connection to the story and the characters and for me I was completely in Eve's shoes in this book and I just felt for her so deeply Um, and you're rooting for her but you also understand where she maybe isn't in a place where she can just bounce back and be a happy person again but she's doing what she can when she can to try to get her life to a place that feels good to her. And so even though it is sad, and even though it is coming from a place of grief for the majority of the book, there is an element of hope at the end. I feel like, I don't think it's giving anything away. To, you, you leave Eve in a place that as a reader you feel like, okay, I feel I feel okay about this, where, where we're leaving her. Right. This is a book that I, I think when I talked about it last time I said this too. It, I don't feel like it was talked about enough. I thought this was a really, really good book, and um, I didn't hear about it. I got it through I'm um, a Book of the Month subscriber, and that's how I found it. I hope more people come to this if it sounds interesting. So that's Someday Maybe by Onye Nwabaneli. My next book is one of your favorites. Oh. It is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow oh, by, I love this book. Yeah, by
1: Gabrielle Zevin. And it feels a little funny to talk about it because it was one of your favorites last, last year. Last year, yep. When I was looking at, at I, you know, just copy and pasted my outline from for our, our our outline from last year to make the new one. And I was all, oh,
0: huh.
1: <laughs> that feels weird. And it's also funny because I read this for last year's committee. And so it feels like this shouldn't be eligible this year but I read it in January and the way that our year goes for the committee is we'd have discussions in ideally the middle of January but this year it's the beginning of January (laughs) and so um so I do get a little bit of that overlap and but it, it messed with my mind a little bit but I thought gosh this would be a little bit of a an oversight in my reading year to not include this so um it is so good it is about two friends who meet as children Um, in kind of difficult circumstances, and they bond over a shared love of of video games, and they go on to develop a legendary game together and create a company and have a lot of success in that company, but tragedy strikes their friendship, and it traces their lives over several decades, and the ebb and flow of their relationship and their own development as people, and they, they go apart and come back together multiple times in the book, and um, it's just really beautifully written. It's, it has very interesting writing. There's um, a chapter that's written in, from within a video game that that expresses a lot of things that are happening in the relationship. It's just a great book. Um, I admit that part of the reason I loved it is because I hated A.J. Fikri so very, very much, <laughs> and so I was a little bit wary going into this book, and then to love it and and to realize, oh, this isn't... At all the same style as that book that I, I hated so, so very much is always such a great surprise. I sort of love those those moments of of recognizing that an author can can uh, be redeemed for you or that they are not just writing the same book multiple times or they can they can do various styles. So this is one that I did end up giving away after the committee last year. And I'm kind of wondering if I should have made that decision because <laughs> uh, I can, I, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that because I do love libraries and I can obviously read it mm-hmm. again. Um, but sometimes there's just having a book on your shelf. Yeah. That is quite satisfying. So I don't know. I'll, I'll probably regret that eventually more. So um, the in the moment where I'm buying another copy of it is when I'll be annoyed with myself that I gave it away so that is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin
0: it's fascinating how different each of her books yeah are. they really I mean, really just are truly fascinating you would think they were entirely different authors writing each right of um, and they're all so good generally <laughs> or maybe not AJ Pickery <laughs> for you but yeah uh, I mean depending yeah.
1: on your taste is, right, I, th- right. I think she's a fine writer but yeah. but yeah that book was not for me yeah
0: All right, my next one is Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez. I read a lot of good romances this year. It was very, very difficult to decide which ones to include on this list. And I felt like I said this to Anne before we started. I feel like I could have had a top 10 favorites that were solely made up of romances. Part of the reason I chose this one to include is I could not put it down. I just could not put this book down and so even though there were others and I'm actually going to talk about another one in a few minutes but there are other great romances that I read this year and I really really loved but it was a more typical reading experience I would say whereas this one once I started I just was so into the story that I didn't want to stop reading and I even stayed up way past my bedtime one night in order to finish it which you know me, (laughs) is a very rare occurrence because I wake up very early every morning, just kind of naturally. So by the time I'm going to bed at night, I will tend to read for maybe five or 10 minutes before falling asleep. If even that, I just, I'm so tired and I get into bed and reading is very relaxing to me. So as soon as I start, I just immediately fall asleep. So it, it says something about this book that it was something that made me want to stay up and keep reading after my usual bedtime. So I have talked about this already on the podcast, but it's about two doctors, Jacob and Brianna, who uh, Brianna works at one hospital. Jacob has just transferred or been hired from another hospital and they have very poor first impressions of each other. Um, Brianna in particular really doesn't like Jacob. She thinks they're vying for the same promotion. And so that's part of why she has a bad first impression of him. And he realizes that he has, offended her or that she has doesn't like him and so she, he writes her a note apologizing for what he did or she perceives he did and so they strike up this little pen pal correspondence and as they do that they start thawing towards each other they end up having lunches and meals together and really gr- forming a, a good strong friendship Brianna finds out that Jacob's ex-girlfriend is marrying his brother, and she agrees that she will pretend to be his girlfriend for the wedding events because Jacob thinks his family is going to be very concerned about him, as you would be if Mm -hmm. uh, if your sibling or child's, if you have that situation where it's Jacob's brother and ex-girlfriend marrying. I mean, there are a lot of complicated feelings there. So she, this, so there's this fake dating aspect to it. There's a lot stuffed into this book, if you can tell from what I'm saying. I mean, you have the epistolary element, you have a workplace romance, you have this fake dating romance, or fake dating trope. You have Brianna's brother, who I haven't even mentioned yet. He's very ill, and so that plays a role in the story. Um, but somehow, Abby Jimenez just makes it all work, and I completely ate it up. I have talked before about how much I love her books, and I think that this might be my favorite. It's, it's sort of a toss-up between two of hers. That is Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez. I was
1: curious of what romances you were going to talk about this, this time because you every time you messaged me it was how great romance is this year for you. So I know
0: it was hard. It was very hard. Yeah. If you asked me tomorrow I probably could have I would slot in two different ones. But yeah the ones <laughs> I'm talking about really were just like you said you hugged the book at the end. That's how I felt about the two that I'm talking about today. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, another one I hugged at the end, and mm-hmm. I know you also loved, is Homecoming <gasps> by Kate Morton. So good. And yeah. this is one that we saw, we did a little bit of finagling of yeah. who was going to talk about which overlapping favorites that we had. Mm-hmm. And this was one for both of us. Um I think this is one of Kate Morton's best. Mm-hmm. Um it's set in her native Australia, um, which I think is the first time she's Done a book they usually are set in England and I think this is her first that's in Australia which I thought was a a very made it feel a little bit more personal Mm -hmm. I think um and it has this mystery that spans over several decades so it starts in 1959 when a local man makes a terrible discovery at the Turner Mansion which is outside of the town that they live in in um in the area called the Adelaide Hills in Australia and he finds that almost the entire Turner family has died while picnicking. And they're all, it looks very natural. They're all there looking like they could just be taking naps, but then he realizes they're all dead. And so it's it's very eerie um, to find all of them. And this mystery is never solved. And then 60 years later, a journalist named Jess goes back to Australia, she's living in London, um, and she's called back to Australia when her grandmother, Nora, becomes very ill. And so, as she's going through some of the um, the items in the family's home, she realizes that her grandmother is tied to the Turner the Turner deaths. This just ha- it was such a compelling
0: mm-hmm.
1: book. It was such a hard book to put down. Um, it's quite big, and it I just had such a it was definitely a staying up past my bedtime, which to be honest, I do every <laughs> single night. So that isn't really saying a whole lot, but. <laughs> even more so with this book Um, I and as soon as it was over I just wanted to start it over again because it was the way that she plots things and the way that she draws you in with this this history she there's just no one that does it better like that combination she is so good at it so um, this is also one I will be keeping this year so that is homecoming by Kate Morton
0: yes absolutely 100% one of my favorites of this year as well okay my next one is hello beautiful by Ann Napolitano. Ooh, and, this is the
1: one that I started that I thought, oh, this is such a good book. Oh, it's so good. But I couldn't good. finish it because it wasn't right for the committee. No. But it's so good.
0: And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like to describe it doesn't do it justice. So, but everybody I know who's read it loved it. It's on a lot of best of the year lists and clearly on mine. But it's kind of a, a quieter book. And mm-hmm. so I think that there, there's a big emotional punch to it. It kind of creeps up on you as you're reading because, again, to describe it, it doesn't sound like anything unique or special, but it really is. And I think part of it that is the author's writing is really, really good and just something about the, the characters she develops are really, I don't know, There's just it's just so good. So this book got a lot of hype um, before it ever came out. And I remember starting it and thinking, well, this is good, but I'm not sure it deserves all this hype that it's getting. And then I got about halfway through, and I thought, oh, no, I get it now. (laughs) I get it now. This is really, really, really good. So this is about the loud, boisterous, generally happy Padovano family. There are five daughters in the family, and they're all very different from each other, but they're extremely close to each other. And then William, who has led a very lonely, somewhat, isolated life leading up to college meets the oldest daughter of the Padovano family and her name is Julia and basically as soon as they meet Julia decides this is the man for me we are going to get married the Padovano family immediately embraces William as one of their own so he he's gone from this childhood where his parents really kept their distance from him and he struggled with some mental health stuff and now he's being absorbed and embraced by this family and he just feels so loved and it just seems like everything is going to be great and then something happens that changes the entire dynamic of the family and all of the relationships both among the sisters and then with William and Julia and William and the sisters again I'm not going to tell you what it is don't read any reviews (laughs) so it is inspired by the book Little Women. Um, Which, if you are a fan of Little Women, I think that adds an extra layer of enjoyment to this book. But I don't think you need to know Little Women to appreciate this book. It's not an adaptation of it. It's not like you need to know all the details to... They even mention Little Women. They do. It's like a meta thing. Like, they talk about Little Women. But it does add an extra little bit of enjoyment if you do like Little Women. It was just such a moving story, so lovely, as I said, so well written. I adored the way the various relationships play out in the book and the way you get to know the characters. It was just, it was a really good blend of being reflective, a little bit bittersweet, a little bit hopeful. I I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. So it's Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. Well, I'm super excited to get back to
1: that one. Okay, my next book is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. And um, it's about a woman named Vera Wong, as the title su- suggests, that's na- that uh, runs a traditional Chinese tea shop in San Francisco. And her business isn't great. And she spends a lot of her time being obsessed with her grown son, her very successful, might I add, grown son's love life and his general adulting abilities. And that's part of the humor is coming comes from how much she over mothers him when he's he's doing fine as as an adult um so she goes downstairs one morning to get ready to open the shop and finds a dead body in there and so she very helpfully draws an outline of the body with sharpie for the police because she knows that's going to be a step that they take uh when they come to investigate and she uh decides to try to see what she can find out about this murder because it impacts her so over the course of the day um i think it's just that that i think this all is the first day um several people come to the shop who are claiming to be various uh other people like journalists and yeah people that are are claiming a reason to be there who actually have reasons to be happy that the murder victim has died and as they Become a little bit more entrenched in Vera's world. They become friends with her as she takes them under her extremely overprotective wing. I just this was so charming. Vera is such a fun character. She's so fantastic. It's a very very funny book and very warm, but it also has an edge to it because it's it's delving into a lot of um, issues with elderly loneliness and the questions that come when you you sort of have gotten past your even second act in life and and you maybe it's do you accept a third act or what do you do in your in your life at that point so um i just loved it i thought it was so such a great mystery and that is vera wong's unsolicited advice for murderers by jesse q sutanto
0: yeah i liked that one a lot too that was a good one it's very cute all right my next one is exiles by jane harper and this is the third in the Aaron Falk series, and I'm sad to say I think the last one, which yeah. uh, I loved this series a lot. So it's about Aaron, who is an investigator, and he is traveling to the Australian town of Marilee on the one-year anniversary of the disappearance of a woman who left her baby in a stroller at a festival, at a food and wine festival in this small town. And Aaron is visiting his friend Rako, who who knew the missing woman. And Rego asks Aaron to look into the disappearance, as does the missing woman's teenage daughter, who she is convinced that there were things that were missed in the investigation. So she wants Aaron to look into it. And so as he does, he starts realizing that there are some secrets that are coming to light that that make him question what exactly was going on with this woman, with her friend group, and there's just, there things just aren't adding up. And then he realizes that there was a hit-and-run accident several years earlier that seems like it maybe has some sort of connection to the disappearance, but he can't quite put together what that connection would be. So it just seems like all these disparate parts, but it, it seems too coincidental that they would have happened. So the way the mystery in this comes together was so masterful I think because Mm -hmm. it's one of the sort of like homecoming in my mind because all the pieces are there (laughs) when you find out what the solution is or what the answer answer to the mystery is you're like oh yes that was all laid out through the story but the way it's done you're completely surprised or at least I didn't catch on it's, sometimes you read a mystery and you kind of know what the solution's going to be as you're reading that was not the case with this book it all comes together and it's just like oh yes this was being told to us this whole time but we just didn't see it so um, to me Jane Harper rivals Tana French who is one of my favorite authors I just think she does these mysteries so well I think she uh, ended the Aaron Falk series really really strongly and I'm looking forward to what she does next so this is Exiles by Jane Harper that's one I didn't get to this year and I'm pretty bummed about
1: it. Yeah. And um but I'm super excited to read it eventually and um thankfully she writes really really strong standalones too. Yes, and has been doing a lot of that too, so it's it's at least where we know we have we'll have some other good stuff yeah. coming.
0: This was one of the first books I read in 2023 and I remember thinking Well, this is starting my year off quite well.
1: (laughs) Okay, so next is The Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale. And this is an example of such the right book at the right time for me. Um, It's about a woman named Jess who is emptying her childhood home after her mother's death. And she is pretty able to to go through everything um, pretty methodically. But she gets to the set of encyclopedias that she just can't bear to get rid of because they were given to her as, as, uh, by her mother as a child. And they represent the future that her mother dreamed for her to be able to go on to bigger things and to sort of spark curiosity in her life. So she's, she doesn't have room for them. And she deci- she hears about a museum that takes items for ordinary people. And um, she goes to investigate and re- and finds out that the building is about to be sold. And so she says that um, she has a, a background in um, museum curation. And so she volunteers to help out in the museum to run it while it's still open until that sale actually goes through. And through that, she discovers herself and her ambitions um, and her, the new relationships that are developed with friends and uh, possibly romantic relationships while she's working there. And I... I will fully admit that this book is a book for me right now because I am still currently going through things from my mother's house after she died uh, uh, two and a half years ago. And to me, this book captured the agony of trying to decide what to do with a lifetime's worth of things completely perfectly. Mm -hmm. It had such an emotional resonance to me that I... I felt that so hard reading this book where you have something that you know, you don't have room for, you know, it doesn't serve any purpose in your life, but something about it is just to mm-hmm. the idea of getting rid of it is like getting rid of the person. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I will fully admit, I cried like a newborn Aww. baby reading this. So it's, it is very special to me uh, for that reason. So yeah, it's, it's just, it, I think it, it's a, uh, topic of grief that Mm -hmm. that I haven't really seen explored a whole lot Mm -hmm. in and and admittedly I don't read a ton of books about grief but that that objects Mm -hmm. aspect to it is something that I don't know I've ever seen done as well as Mm -hmm. as this book did so that is the Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale. Also I was driving while I was listening to it so me crying like a baby was was not the best choice.
0: One thing that you touched on that I think made this extra special the idea extra special is not only that you have these objects but that you can leave them with somebody who's going to care for them that they're right. not just going someplace that nobody's ever going to look at them again like in a box but it's it's like they're being cared for as well as right
1: right and that's the whole premise of the museum is that that they are they are not significant in the grand scheme of the world right. but they have just as much significance yeah. because they're they are real people's yeah. items. Yeah. And so, so yeah, sweet. I just thought it was really nice. Even for someone who doesn't have a heart like me.
0: Even for you.
1: No, just Even
0: for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next one is Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour. Yee! So I read this just like Exiles. I read this back in January, and there are still scenes and images that just kind of float into my mind every so often from this book. And it's because I think this book is all about the vibes. It's all about the atmosphere. It's all about the scene setting. Um, There's definitely a really good story here too, but mostly I just remember how the book made me feel. Um, Mm -hmm. It's about two women who have both had difficult pasts, and they are, I think, in their 20s, maybe 30s, um, when they cross paths at a restaurant called Yerba Buena. And they're immediately drawn to each other, but... It's not a happily ever after light romance. It's you see the way their past and their baggage impact their approach to relationships and how that is going to put up some barriers to that they have to overcome in order to be together. That's sort of that's sort of it. You just you you are with these two characters in this time of their lives. You see what happened to bring them. To the point where they meet each other and then you see what happens after they've met each other there tends to be we've talked about this kind of an overarching melancholy tone to Nina LaCour's books mm-hmm. and this one just does it so well because it's not maudlin it's not melancholy to the point of something you just don't want to read because it's too sad or anything it's just you you have this feeling that you're you're on this this path with these characters you're Feeling the things that they're feeling. And then at the end, you leave them in a place that, sort of like someday maybe, you leave them in a place that you feel like, okay, I feel good about this. So mm-hmm. uh, that's Yerba Buena by Nina Lacour.
1: This is also a favorite of yes, mine. Yes, yes, and... I should have said
0: that. Yeah, I stole it from Anne.
1: Oh, well, we just negotiated a little <laughs> bit so, to make sure everything got covered. Um, yeah, it, you're right that it's all vibes. In fact, I can't remember the plot of this hardly at all, it, <laughs> but I do remember. The feelings and the and certain images and just how well she creates Mm -hmm. this Los Angeles space that that is just so gorgeous. Okay, next is Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett and This is one I read, I guess, not very early in the year, but it's definitely one that has stuck with me Mm -hmm. uh, very strongly. It's about a woman named Emily Wilde, who is a curmudgeonly Cambridge professor at the turn of the 20th century. And she is writing the first encyclopedia of fairy lore. And so she travels to some remote islands that are vaguely Scandinavian-esque. I I think that they're like a stand-in for the Faroe Islands. And she is studying a particular type of fairy there that can't... Um, but she can't, as a person, connect to the other people in the village, which is hampering her work. And then that is going on until a rival scholar named Wendell Bamble, uh, Bambleby. <laughs> I stumble on that because it's so ridiculous, um, he comes to, to the island, and they're they are fast enemies at, at Cambridge. And he comes to, I'm doing air quotes, help her, and he just charms everyone immediately. So she's a little bit annoyed about that. Um, she does realize pretty early on that there are sinister activities that are happening with another type of fairies in this, um, in the, the wild of this, this island, and that Bumblebee knows more about them than she had previously thought. And so there's, um, there's a lot that she's trying to tease apart, and it's written in this Uh, epistolary way and it's it's just completely delightful. Um, The characters are great, the setting is fantastic, the story is fun, there's a romance in there, just all of it was such a fun reading experience. So that is Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia
0: of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. I have this on my shelf, I want to get to it. Oh yeah, you have to (laughs) read this. I want to read this and I, I don't, this is going back to my original comment about prioritizing the things that I want to, you know, I just kept skipping over it in favor of other things. But I do want to read this. All right, my next one is River, Sing Me Home by Eleanor Shearer. And I know you didn't like this book, Anne. And I admit...
1: Yeah, I I liked it. I just didn't like it as much as I expected to. Yeah.
0: So, and I will admit, it is not a perfect book. I believe it is the author's debut novel. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. that kind of comes through in the way the story is structured and told. Yeah,
1: that was, I think, my bigger...
0: My yeah. bigger issue
1: with it is that I thought there was a great book in there that wasn't quite Qu- wasn't quite written. there.
0: So yeah. I will tell you why I'm including it here because I was going on reading experiences and while I was reading this book, I was so into it. It wasn't until after I had finished that I started thinking, "Oh, I feel like this maybe could have been better or whatever." It was just I was in it and one of the reasons I love reading historical fiction is because it tells me about time or tells me about a time and place and people that I maybe didn't learn about in school. And that's the case here, because it takes Mm -hmm. place in the 1830s in the Caribbean. It's about Rachel, who is an enslaved woman who works or lives on a sugarcane plantation. And the plantation owner announces that slavery has been abolished, but she still doesn't have her freedom because now she's what's considered an apprentice and she needs to work for six more years on the plantation. So for all intents and purposes, her situation has not changed. So she decides to escape and goes to try to find her children that have all been taken from her during her time on this plantation and she has no idea what has happened to them and they're all teenagers to adults now and so she wants to find them and be reunited and find out what happened to them she doesn't even know if they're still alive but she hopes obviously that they are Um, so we follow her along or follow along as she tries to track down where each of her children has ended up and we see it's not a simple matter of just traveling around. I mean, she's still a person that has escaped from this plantation, so she has to be cautious about who she interacts with in case they bring her back. And it's a pretty harrowing prospect to do this. And it's a times a truly heartbreaking story, but I just haven't read a lot that is set in this time. And so I appreciated learning some of it. I just thought I was, again, I was completely absorbed by the story as I was reading it. And I think I will look forward to what she reads next because maybe as a debut author, there were some some little bits that faltered, but I think that that overall it was a, a very memorable reading experience for me. So that is "River Sing Me Home" by Eleanor Shearer.
1: Yeah, I think I think she has a great a great future, um, and and definitely there were lots of details in this book that that stuck out to me as being being really well done, and it's very you're exactly right that it's, it's not a, a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the subject of slavery is something that I know much more about in the U S mm-hmm. right. than I do outside of, of um, in the rest of the world. And so it was, I, I, I liked that she, mm-hmm. I liked her, her perspective on it. Yeah. And I think it has a, a family history connotation yes, yes, if I'm yeah. remembering right.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I think is hard with historical fiction is blending in some of the historical details to show that the author has done research and understands what the setting would be like and all of those things and, and make it seamless with the story. And so I think for me that was a little bit where it, it felt debuty <laughs> was yeah, you could yeah, tell yeah. some of the things were to show different scenarios of, of how uh, where people could have ended up and things like that. So right. anyway, but doesn't take away from the fact that while I was reading it I loved it.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Next is Death Comes to Marlowe by Robert Thurgood, and this, uh, the I realized that the that last year the first book in the series, um, the Marlowe Murder Club, was one of my favorites of the oh, year, and well, so you're very um, consistent. Yeah, and and I thought, well, I I maybe should switch things up a little bit, but I loved this mystery, and so I'm going to straight to stay true to my my tastes and um, include this one, especially because I think this one has a stronger mystery plot to it. Um, so if you remember, uh, or if you've read the first book in the series, it's about a woman, sort of the the main character, I would say, is a woman named Judith, who is an elderly crossword constructor who lives in a small English village on the Thames. And she works together with the uptight local Victor's wife, Bex, who is not quite as uptight as you think going into it and um Susie who is a blue collar dog walker and they have become friends because of the events of the first book and um come from very different backgrounds but but work together to solve murders and so in this this installment they are invited to a pre-wedding party for a wealthy local man who is marrying a woman who is much younger than he is and at the party he is murdered in seemingly impossible circumstances and um as those are my favorite types of mysteries where it couldn't have happened but it did happen and so how did it happen i love the friendship between these women they are so different and they they're all three people who have been underestimated throughout their entire lives and occupy spaces in society that are often judged right off the bat whether that's being elderly or being the helpmeet to a more prominent figure in the community or being a, a blue-collar worker. Those are all things that we, we tend to make uh, a lot of assumptions about those people, and they upend them all the time in this book. And so I love that aspect of it, but it's also just an extremely solid locked room mystery, which I often don't find the solutions to those books as satisfying as I find the setup, um, and that was not the case here. I, I found this very, very, very rewarding to get to the end and to see how it all played out. So I'm looking for many more books in the series. Um, and I'll see you here next year with the third book in the in the
0: series. I will look forward to that. <laughs> all right. My next one is my next romance on the list. It's Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood. And Allie Hazelwood gets a lot of flack for basically writing the same story over and over. <laughs> I do not care. I eat these up with a spoon. I read almost this entire book with a big smile on my face because I just loved reading it so very much I found it so delightful in my opinion the two books that came out this year which were this one love theoretically and check and mate which is a it was marketed as a young adult book but did not feel YA to me really at oh, all interesting um, th- I, in my opinion they're the, they're the best books she's written and I've read all of the books that she's written this one is about Elsie who is an adjunct professor at three different institutions <laughs> at three different colleges But her jobs don't pay her well enough to live on, so she also has a side gig being basically an escort or like a fake girlfriend. There's an app where people can hire her to join them when they just want the appearance of having a girlfriend. She gets a chance of a lifetime to interview to be a professor at MIT. She's so excited, Um, but the only problem is the guy who is heading up the hiring committee is named Jack Smith, who is in her mind her professional nemesis because he made her mentor look like a complete fool and basically undermined um, her whole she's a physicist she's a theoretical physicist and he's another kind of physicist practical (laughs) and uh, he made their kind of physics look stupid basically Um, and then there's an added complication because Jack's brother is one of Elsie's clients and she has met Jack when she has been posing as his brother's girlfriend. And so there's just all sorts of complicating factors here as she tries to get this job. It's, it's just it's just delightful. Like I said, part of the reason I think it was so good is because yes, it is a rom-com. It is steamy as many of other Allie Hazelwood's, bo- Hazelwood's books are. But it also had some really insightful things to say about being a woman in STEM and what that is like. And for Elsie, she is somebody who has always contorted herself into different almost personalities to fit what the people around her want. And so a big portion of the book is spent on her coming into her own to figure out who she is and that she she can feel confident to just be herself and not try to conform into these different personalities so I really loved that part of it I loved it it was loved theoretically by Allie Hazelwood I wondered I thought that might be your top one yeah of, yeah I just talked it, about it a lot this year yeah it just was a again I just the whole time I was reading it I was kind of giddy like this is yeah. like I just loved reading it it was very hard I will say honorable mention to happy place by Emily Henry that oh was, I, that was the I, other one I was debating about but right um, I
1: almost put that on my list too and I just I because I loved it so much yeah and I I had to make choices I know and it's I don't hard. I, I don't know at this point why I didn't make that choice
0: <laughs> all right Anne, drumroll what is your top book My top book is the book I haven't
1: shut up about all year. And I'm as shocked as you are. It's Legends and Lattes by Travis (laughs) Faltry. Why do I love this book so much? (laughs) It's so much fun. Um, It's about a mercenary orc named Viv who has left combat. And she decides she wants her second act to be introducing her new town to coffee. Which she tasted for the first time while traveling. And it's not common where she's from so she decides she wants to open a coffee shop and then the rest of the book is her renovating her space and developing a menu and making new friends who come into the shop there is a very slight conflict with a past comrade that uh knows a secret or or assumes a secret about viv it's a very 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 minor conflict compared to the major conflict of trying to decide what to name the new coffee shop this is the type of book that this is, that there's, <laughs> there's almost nothing to it. And so I was trying to think, I, I mean, I already know that I love cozy things. That's, that's well established with me. I love cozy mysteries for the atmosphere. I read a lot of things because of the seasonal aspect of them, or I'm a setting, definitely an atmosphere and a setting reader. I love those. I love being enveloped in, in spaces like that. And so this book, I was I was trying to decide what made it so good for me. And part of it, admittedly, is that I had no, too, no expectations to negative expectations going into it because of the fact that it does have this setup of being like the characters are very high fantasy characters, which is not appealing to me at all. But I think the bigger thing is besides the coziness aspect of it is that it just really hit at the right time. So I read this in very early January. It was maybe the second book I read this year that at that point I was in the doldrums of committee work. And at, at this point that I'm, I'm will admit I am in right now, you're reading so many things so fast and you're almost done for the year and everything is just kind of bleeding together. Mm -hmm. And this book was the book that made me enjoy the process again because it just felt so fresh from high fantasy expectations um it was just it was i i know i wrote to you i wrote to multiple people why has this book broken my brain right now because i it was just such a breath of fresh air for me when i was reading so many things that just kind of felt like a a burden mm-hmm, to have to read mm-hmm. at that point point. Um, and this one did not feel like it so i'm very curious with a second read or if i get to um, Uh, bookshops and bone dust uh, in a a few weeks Mm -hmm. if I'll have that same experience but it doesn't matter because that's the experience that I had right this year and I loved it so much and that is Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. I
0: picked that for this month's book club we are discussing it tomorrow. Oh I'm curious of how that will go. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) My top book in this is my favorite book of the year is Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. And I read the first paragraph of this book and immediately thought, I'm going to love this. And sure enough, I did. Uh, (laughs) There is something about the way Anne Patchett writes that I just sink right into the story. It's she writes beautifully, but not in a flowery way. Yeah, I think that's right. Not flowery, not particularly noticeably literary or anything, but just she has some I, I'm not somebody who is inclined to kind of mark up my books or underline passages or anything. And with her books, for some reason, I do want to. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. feel like she has these observations and insights about people that really resonate with me. And I, I just love reading her books. So this one is about, um, it's a pandemic book. So I know some people don't want to read about the pandemic or don't feel like that is something they want to revisit so soon. And I understand that. So you should know that before you start. Um, but it, it opens. Well, no, it doesn't open, but it, it, it's kind of two, two storylines. So one is takes place on a cherry farm during, or cherry orchard, excuse me, during okay. the uh, very beginning of the pandemic, during lockdown. And Lara and her husband own this cherry orchard. And they have three adult daughters. And they've all returned home because they have nowhere else to go. And it is, it's not the very beginning, I guess, because it is time to harvest the cherry. So I guess that would be more towards like late spring into summer, I think. And so nobody can come work on the orchard. Like they they don't have their regular seasonal workers because of the pandemic. So it's up to the family to, to harvest. And as they are doing this work, the daughters beg Laura to tell them the story of when she was a younger girl, when she was a teenager or in her early 20s. She spent the summer at a place called Tom Lake in a theater company and dated a man who ended up becoming a very, very, very famous movie star. So at the time Laura knew him, he was not famous yet, but he went on to become very famous. So then the book goes on to tell that story of Laura as a young girl at this summer theater lake place and what happened in this relationship with this guy and then alternates back and forth to the more present day storyline of them and and how they're dealing with the pandemic it was just such a beautiful story about the different paths that life can take and what that looks like it's it's primarily about these choices lara made but they're also there's also some commentary about what choices her daughters are making and her husband and I adored it without a doubt it's just my favorite book of the year I have heard that the audiobook is amazing Meryl Streep narrates and so I might revisit it as an audiobook because it's it just formed a little place in my heart and I think it's going to remain there forever it's Tom Lake by Ann Patchett she
1: really does do such a like she her writing isn't dense necessarily but she just gets to these realities of how people actually
0: are. Yep. Yeah. And it was. I heard an interview with her, and she talked about how she's very interested in people, and so mm-hmm. when she meets people, she asks a lot of questions and listens to what they say. And I think that's so evident in her writing. She just captures mm-hmm. the way people interact with each other, the way their relationships are. Like you see the different dynamics between Lara and her three daughters, and I'm from a family of three girls. Uh, I have two sisters, and so I just thought she represented that really well how the daughters are all each different and their relationship with their mother is different depending on what their personalities were I don't know it was just so well done I think this is Ann Patchett's best book I think she's known for Bel Canto but to me this was her the best book she's ever written nice okay we did it so uh, we will be right back with what we're reading this week Okay, Anne. What are you reading this week? Um,
1: this week, I'm reading A Disappearance in Fiji by Nilima Rao, and this is the first in a new series that's set in uh, 1914 in Fiji, so right at the start of World War One, which they mention a, a little bit in the book, and I think is is an interesting, I think it's an interesting thing to incorporate a war that's happening thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away, and to see how that plays out in this in this setting and how it it influences things. Uh, in, in this world. So the main character is named call Singh, and he is a Sikh who is work- who was working in Hong Kong as a police sergeant and was reassigned to a post in Fiji after a professional embarrassment. And um, he is absolutely miserable living there. He is hated by his white superior officers, and he's not accepted by the uh, Fijians. And he's also not accepted by the other Indians living there. There's, there's actually a lot of Indians um, living in Fiji um, because of his religion. And he dreams of getting back to Hong Kong. That's pretty much his only goal is to get back to Hong Kong. So at the beginning of, of, of the book, right at the very first uh, first pages, an indentured Indian woman goes missing from the sugar, sugar cane plantation um, where she is... Uh, basically forced to work it's it's kind of like with river sing me home where she's not enslaved but she Mm -hmm. is for all intents and purposes enslaved and so it's assumed that she ran off and the uh and, and there's some questions of her moral character that are brought up in in this discussion and the issue is is soon to be forgotten if only an English missionary has hadn't given an interview to a newspaper that said that she had to have been kidnapped. That there, he's met her, and there's just no way that that this was a, a runaway situation. And so he essentially is forcing the police into investigating because they're they're embarrassed into having dropped this. So no one wants to look into something so trivial on the on the police force, mm-hmm. and because he is Indian the case is forced on to Singh and he's but he's told that he's to give it no more than cursory attention and he just wants to please his the inspector who his superior officer who hates him so much because he just wants to get off of Fiji and so he plans to do no more than the than necessary but he quickly learns that something is very wrong on this plantation the conditions that the Indian workers um, exist in are absolutely terrible and the white colonizers are abusing the workers while making their fortunes um, for themselves, and once Singh has witnessed this, he can't unsee it. So he, um, he, in the investigation, has to confront his own perceptions of worth, um, of, of other people's worth, as tied to the Indian caste system, because he sees himself as different than the, the workers that are there. Um, so he has to decide how to proceed in this case because he knows that following his conscience at this point will ruin his chances of ever getting back to Hong Kong. So I love I love characters that are set up this way. They have a really compelling dilemma. And Singh is, is just such an intriguing character because this has a lot more heft than um, a lot of the, the historical mysteries that, this, that I've read this year where he is it's a great setup for a first mystery as well for um the fact that he clearly doesn't want to be there and he he is working to get away from the location that where he is has been sent um but he has to confront all of these very dark realities uh of his life there and also within himself and i i like that that interplay um i also am am, like you said with historical fiction i'm enjoying that this is a location that i know absolutely nothing about um and I love historical mysteries and just mysteries in general that that do that um for me although when I was looking up Fiji I realized that I had a book as a kid that was all about like houses around the world and the houses from Fiji had to- totally fascinated me because of how steep their roofs were mm-hmm. and so when I was looking up things I'm like oh there are those houses <laughs> oh and so I hadn't remembered that it was like a, a little memory that was stored away in my in my brain. So, um, so yeah, I'm super excited that this is a start of a mystery. I'm hoping that it will continue um, on from this one. I hope that it, I'm, I'm, you know, halfway through or something. So I'm hoping that it really uh, wraps up well. But I think that it has a lot of promise and is definitely not a, a scenario that I've seen in other books. So that is A Disappearance in Fiji by Nilima Rao.
0: Sounds interesting.
1: Yeah, I think you'd like this one.
0: All right, so what I am actually reading right now is a book that doesn't come out until the end of April because I'm reviewing it. And so I decided to instead talk about an absolutely adorable Christmas book that I read last week because I figured (laughs) that there might be people when this episode comes out, it will be just a few days before Christmas. And I thought there might be people who want to fit in one more or a Christmas book before Christmas or on Christmas. So I thought I'd talk about this instead. So it is called Faking Christmas by Carrie Winfrey. It is about a woman named Laurel who lives in Ohio, which is where I'm from. So I kind of loved this piece of it. Um, She works for a regional Ohio magazine as their social media person. And then also she has had the opportunity to write a column in this magazine. But the reason she writes a column is because when she interviewed for the job, there was... A miscommunication with her boss, where she was explaining to him that she does the social media for her sister's farm. Her sister lives with her husband and two kids. Her twin sister uh, lives with her husband and two kids on a farm, maybe forty-five minutes or an hour away from wherever this magazine office is. And somehow, it just the her boss interpreted that as meaning that Laurel lives on this farm with her husband and two kids, not just that she did the social media. And so, But she really desperately needed a job, so she kind of went along with it and then ended up being asked to write a column about farm life. So she has <laughs> written this column, a regular column, as if she is her sister, basically, talking about all these traditions, all these different things that they do on the farm. It, it hasn't been a big problem. She is very close to her sister. She just writes as if she is living this life but then it's a few days before christmas she shows up at work her boss is completely distraught because his wife has left him and so in an attempt to comfort him laurel kind of inadvertently stumbles into a situation where he invites himself to come to their christmas eve eve celebration so they have a tradition the day the night before christmas of some or the night before christmas eve of a certain meal that they have and so he misinterprets how she is comforting him to say, oh yes, I will join you and your family for this <laughs> this meal. So Laurel and her sister Holly, they put their heads together and they think, okay, we can do this. This is one meal. He will be here. We'll kind of switch places and pretend. But the only thing is, Holly says she's going to draw the line at Laurel pretending that Holly's husband is her husband. So they bring in a friend of theirs named max who laurel hates like she does not like this guy but he agrees that he will pretend to be her husband for this one meal well what do you know there's a snowstorm so everybody gets <laughs> stuck at the farm and they have to continue this elaborate scheme for longer for laurel's boss who is there and shenanigans ensue And it is just so adorable and fun. It's so festive, so cute. It's a very quick read if you do want to try to get it in uh, here in the next few days. And it is called Faking Christmas by Carrie Winfrey. I
1: feel like I might have a copy of that or... I've seen a Hallmark movie that's like exactly the
0: same plot, yes. which both of those could be true. <laughs> they could both be true. It definitely feels kind of Hallmarky, y but it, it's yeah, good. Yeah. It's like a very pretty solid little rom-com she's written yeah, here. Yeah, it sounds really fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely a good Christmas book, but I think it kind of stands on its own as just a good, fun rom-com that takes place at Christmas. Yeah. All right. So let's go back. We'll list off our top tens and what we're reading this week, and we'll wrap up.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I talked about Thornhedge by T. Kingfisher, Last to Leave the Room by Caitlin Starling, How Can I Help You by Laura Sims, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, Homecoming by Kate Morton, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto, The Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett, Death Comes Tomorrow by Robert Thorogood and lifelong masterpiece (laughs) legends and lattes by travis baldry and what i am reading this week is a disappearance in fiji by nilima rao
0: and i talked about bright young women by jessica Knoll, the rachel incident by caroline o'donohue someday maybe by anya nwabanelli yours truly by abby jimenez hello beautiful by ann napolitano exiles by jane harper yerba buena by nina Lacour. River Sing Me Home by Eleanor Scheer, Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood, and my favorite of the year was Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, and what I was reading this week is Faking Christmas by Carrie Winfrey. So we would love to hear what your favorite books of the year are. You can reach us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Uh, Please rate and review us wherever you are listening to this podcast. It really helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. But can I say that I probably won't
1: get to this until after
0: the committee is over, which is is the beginning of January, January. so stay put. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, You can always message us if you're curious about a particular (laughs) title that we mentioned today and you want Sure. message me on i'm the one who does instagram usually so message on instagram i'll try to get back to you thank you all for listening i hope if you celebrate christmas you have a very merry christmas i hope everybody has a happy new year because i don't think we'll have another episode before that and then our next episode will be our superlatives episode we'll talk a little bit about any reading re- resolutions we ha- have for 20